Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson. Papa, can you tell me a story? Do you really want me to tell you a story? (laughs) Well, you go get your brother and your sisters and I will tell you a story. Welcome to Devotions with Dr. Papa. Gather around everybody, grab your Bible, as we look into the written Word that reveals to us the living Word, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if you remember, we are still going through a discussion of the upside-down house. We're discussing the values and principles of the kingdom of God, which are so opposite, so antithetical to the values of the kingdom of this world. I want to share with you today a story from my own life, and then I want to share a scripture, and we'll discuss that scripture. After my senior year in high school, I worked a construction job building steel buildings and motels for coker builders in Clarendon County. One of my first weeks on the job, I was sent to Harleyville, South Carolina, to work on the construction of a Ramada Inn. Now, I'll be honest, I had no real skills at that time, so the boss put me to work cleaning bathtubs. (laughs) There were 110 units containing 110 bathtubs filled with construction debris, dried sheetrock, dried mud, dried urine, and construction workers' feces. There was no electricity yet, so all of this bathtub cleaning had to be done in the dark. My understanding of a clean bathtub was the way my mama taught me to clean a bathtub at home. Therefore, I commenced to clean all 110 tubs with my bare hands to a spotless shine, except it was so dark I couldn't see the shine. All I could do was rub my hands along the entire surface of every tub to make sure it was smooth and free from dried sheetrock mud and other materials. Then I put Ajax on the whole tub 110 times. (laughs) By the end of the week, my fingers were splitting and bleeding, but the tubs were clean, and my mama would have been proud. Well, the boss man showed up on Friday. And he said, boy, what the heck have you been doing all week? And I replied, I've been cleaning those dadgum tubs like you asked me to. I showed him, and he stood there with his mouth agape, and his eyes bugged out. He walked from room to room with a flashlight in his hand. Then he called in the entire construction crew and showed them the tubs. They all started belly laughing out loud. I was confused and embarrassed. He looks at me and says, Jackson, all I wanted you to do was get all the big stuff out, not them, not to clean them out good enough to take a bath in them. And at that, they all laughed again and just walked off. I grumbled to him to myself, now you tell me. But I got a 50 cent raise out of it per hour. And next I was moved to a motel in Santee, South Carolina, with a couple of high school friends of mine. The uh, construction workers and the high school boys were a rough crowd. And here's the point of the whole story. They all smoked, 
They all drank beer, and they all cursed. Now, I never smoked or drank beer, but I'm ashamed to say I let them influence me into bad language. And that stayed with me for about six months until I got to college when the Holy Spirit convicted me and took it away from me. One day at lunch, I was sitting on an upside-down plastic five-gallon mud bucket with a black man named Birch, who we all enjoyed very much. Birch was full of life, full of laughter, and had a great big smile. He had worked construction all of his life and was quick to teach us high school boys what we needed to know, unlike a lot of the other men who would just laugh at our ineptitude and lack of knowledge. Birch had lost his right index finger in a skill saw accident, leaving only a short nub. He loved to freak out us high school boys by sneaking up behind us and sticking that nub in our ribs. When we jumped away, he would throw his head back and laugh until he cried. Birch was somewhat of a lay preacher. He sang gospel songs at work and talked to everyone about Jesus. He was really a fascination to me, but most of the men would run whenever he came around. You understand, darkness has no fellowship with the light. Well, Birch and I were eating lunch together when the rest of the guys had gone to a restaurant in Santee. I still remember clearly that I had a bologna and cheese sandwich, which was my everyday staple. In fact, I ate that every day through medical school, too. As we were eating, Birch started sharing the gospel with me. I stopped him, and I said, Birch, I'm a Christian. (laughs) Whereupon, he threw his head back and laughed scornfully. You're a Christian? You have got to be kidding me. You're no different from all the rest of those guys. Then he commenced to sharing the gospel with me again. Greatly humiliated, I just listened in glum shame. I was so convicted by his words and his scornful laugh. Holy Spirit stuck a dagger in my heart right then on the spot. Birch, the prophet, will never know how he impacted my life that day on a construction job site. But that was a vital part in a string of events that God was orchestrating in my life to make the unsavory salt salty again. God was rescuing me and bringing me back to Himself again. Several days after that encounter with Birch the prophet, I found myself down on my knees by my bed crying out to the Lord, confessing my sin and committing myself fully to Him. One month later, I was at college, and God connected me with a group of serious-minded Christian college kids who discipled me and helped me grow by leaps and bounds in my Christian life. Now, here's a scripture that I want us to think about. In Matthew 5:13, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Well, you see, you and I are the salt of the earth. 
That's exactly what Jesus said. Yet I was in danger of losing my saltiness. I was in danger of losing my testimony. An unlikely prophet called me out, embarrassed me, and set me back on the right path. I was about to be so flavorless and bland that God couldn't use me like damp salt that is no longer useful and is discarded by the cook. Now, let's go backwards in time. I hope you understand that in ancient times, empires and kingdoms rose and fell because of the availability or the lack of availability of salt. Wars were fought over the availability of salt, salt mines, and salt marshes. In fact, ancient trade routes developed between one city and the next because of the availability of salt mines and salt marshes. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, that man is not worth his salt. Where did that come from? Well, it's because in ancient times, common laborers and low-ranking soldiers were often paid with salt. And many workers and soldiers kept a leather pouch on their belt into which their measure of salt was kept to protect it. Salt was a vital part of every man's diet. And if a man was considered not to be a good worker or a good soldier, he was said to not be worth his salt, the salt with which he was compensated. So salt was a vital part of the economy. Wars were fought over salt. Kingdoms rose and fell over the availability or the lack thereof of salt. If a salt mine played itself out and the salt was no longer available, then that city would wither up and dry and the trade route would go in another place altogether. Now, when I was a young child, I remember visiting my great-grandmother in Powhatan, Virginia. Her family lived in a, on a, in a two-story farmhouse set on a hill at the end of a long gravel road. One of my favorite memories was eating scrambled eggs and salt-cured ham for breakfast. My Uncle Jimmy would walk down the hill to a smokehouse each day to carve slices of, you guessed it, salt-cured ham off a large mold-covered ham hanging in the smokehouse. Grandma then soaked it in milk for hours before it was ready for cooking. And boy, was that salty ham good with eggs and cat head biscuits every morning. What is salt good for? It is good for preserving meats, pickles, and all sorts of foods. It's a preservative. It's also a purifier. The ancients learned long ago that salt water could cleanse and purify wounds. Bathing a wound in the salt water of the ocean has always been a recognized benefit to open wounds. Unfortunately, salt also irritates. You know that from personal experience. If you have ever gotten salt in an open wound, man, doesn't that burn? 
It may be beneficial, but it sure does hurt. Are you beginning to comprehend why we Christians are the salt of the earth? Just as a little bit of salt on a good steak makes it taste that much better, a little bit of your Christian influence in your community makes it function that much better. You impart kindness and gentleness as opposed to the cynicism and criticism of the usual crowd. You bring the wisdom of God instead of the foolishness of the world. You bring conversation seasoned with salt that purifies rather than corrupts, that brings fresh breezes rather than foul winds. You are a breath of fresh air that makes people smile when you are around because you bring the aroma of Christ with you. You preserve politeness and gentility wherever you go. You promote respect for other people and their feelings. People don't need a safe space to hide in when you are around. They can talk about different viewpoints and not be ridiculed or scorned. They'll still be respected. There's no coarse jesting around you. If it does occur, people will apologize to you because you are the purifying influence in the crowd. They know intuitively that you are the priest among them. You represent God, so they apologize to you whenever off-color conversation flies by because you are the purifying, salty preservative in that crowd. Praise God for your saltiness. Remember, Paul told the Colossians, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What we say should always be tasty and always make others want to hear more of what we have to say. But here is the bugaboo. I told you salt was also an irritant. The gospel is also an irritant. The gospel is often offensive because the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But those who are being saved, it is the power of God. To those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Unless Holy Spirit prepares a man's heart to receive the gospel message, it is highly offensive to tell him that he is a dirty, rotten, low-down sinner living in rebellion against God, and if he doesn't change his sinful ways, he will bust hell wide open when he dies. If Holy Spirit has prepared his heart, he will recognize the truth of that, repent of his sinful lifestyle, and receive Jesus Christ as his only Savior. Otherwise, the unprepared heart bows up in rebellious pride and rejects every bit of that salty message. It becomes a stumbling block to him. It becomes an irritant like salt in a wound. And you, dear Christian, are the administrator of the irritant. That is why some will love you and some will hate you. Isn't that what Jesus predicted? He told us that they hated him and they will also hate us. Just get used to it. You're just the messenger. 
Now, I've experienced that many times in my medical practice. It's my responsibility every day to tell people the truth about their medical illnesses. I tell people every day that smoking is going to cause them to have emphysema or perhaps lung cancer, or that excessive alcohol intake may cause them to have cirrhosis of the liver or uh, an alcohol-related driving accident, or it's going to wreck their marriage. It's my responsibility to tell people that their illicit sex is going to cause them to have an STD or an unwanted pregnancy, or it's going to wreck their marriage. And sometimes people will look at me and say, Doc, you're right. You're so right. And, and I'm, I'm so sorry that I'm living this way. And I know that I need to ask God to help me to change my ways. Some folks receive it. They repent. And they call on the Lord to help them to change. But then other people look at me with venom and anger in their expression. And I know that if they thought they could get away with it, they would strangle me on the spot. (laughs) They're not receiving that message at all. And oftentimes I share the gospel with my patients in my medical practice. And sometimes people receive it gladly. And for some people, it's a stumbling block. The message is like salt poured in a wound. It's an irritant. And you see, brothers and sisters, you have folks in your circle of influence who need to hear that gospel message. And if Holy Spirit has prepared their heart, for them it will be a curative in the woundedness of their heart. But if their heart has not been prepared by Holy Spirit, then it'll be an irritant and it'll make them angry and they will hate you. How does salt lose its saltiness? Isn't that what Jesus said in the very beginning when we read that scripture? He says that you and I are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless. How how does salt become tasteless? How does he lose its saltiness? How does it lose its flavor? Well, it's either because it becomes wet or contaminated by other substances. In other words, it becomes diluted. You must be aware, dear listener, that that can happen to Christian folks. Our influence can be diluted by being contaminated. The usual culprits are sin and the world. We lose our flavor if we allow sin into our lives or we allow the world to corrupt us. When I was in college, I noticed one of the leaders in our Christian organization suddenly just dropped out. All the guys and gals were surprised, and he offered no explanation and no excuses. A few months later, the news flashed through our small Christian community that his girlfriend was pregnant. He had allowed sin to infiltrate into his life. He lost his testimony. He lost his saltiness. Jesus said, if the salt has lost its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You see, if that soldier or that worker allowed his salt to become wet or contaminated, what could he do with that salt? It was no longer good for anything. 
He just took the salt out of his leather pouch and he threw it into the roadway. He threw it into the street where it was trampled underfoot by other men. And you see, my brothers and sisters, if you and I allow our testimony, our Christian life to be contaminated by the world or by sin, it becomes flavorless. It loses its saltiness, its effectiveness. And it's not good for anything except to be thrown out into the street and to be trampled underfoot by other men. My construction friend, Birch, his speech seasoned with salt was just the right amount at just the right time in my young life. I'd give anything if I could find him and thank him. All of us as Christians are called to be the salt of the earth, to preserve the moral fabric of the culture in which we live so that it doesn't decay or rot from moral corruption. You see, that's a kingdom of God value. The kingdom of this world has no concern or regard whatsoever for preserving the culture. It's an upside-down challenge that Jesus gives to you and me when he says to us that we should be the salt of the earth, that we should preserve and purify the culture around us. Can I ask you if your speech is seasoned with salt, or is it just salty like a sailor? Is the conduct of your life a preservative that prevents decay, or do you contribute to the moral corruption around you? You see, that's an important consideration. You don't want to be thrown out and to be trampled underfoot, which is what happens to individual Christians and to churches when they lose their distinctive and unique flavor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you're listening to More Than Medicine. You're listening to Devotions with Dr. Papa. If you like what you hear, I pray that you would follow, like, or share. I also like to remind you that it's Christmas time and folks are considering the presents that they would like to buy for their friends. I encourage you to visit Jackson Family Ministry and look at the books that I've authored. I have four of them that are available now. My first book was The Family Doctor Speaks, The Truth About Life, a pro-life book. The second is The Family Doctor Speaks, uh, The Truth About Seed Planting, Equipping Believers for Evangelism, a book about sharing the gospel. The third book was The Family Doctor Speaks, Turkey Tales and Bible Truths, a book about hunting and has each chapter segues right into a Bible teaching that's important for both men and women to understand. My fourth book is a biography about my father that was just published a month ago uh, entitled On Laughter, Silvered Wings. I think that any of you out there that have ever been in the military or have a family member that was in the military or in the medical profession or someone that's just interested in being a, a better Christian father will thoroughly enjoy the biography about my dad. You can find those at Jackson Family Ministry or at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. I thank you for listening, and may God bless you real good. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, 
Go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.